0: Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast, we're your hosts, I'm Kate Norris,
1: and I'm Thomas Craft.
0: Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence.
1: It's episode 35 of the Presentation Boss Podcast, our last episode for the year. So, as promised, for our end of year episode, we're doing our super special happy fun time listener question bonanza episode.
0: Bonanza! (laughs) Good word. Keep
1: going. (laughs) Uh, So we asked you, the listener, what questions you had about presentations, presentation skills, uh, if you had a question about an upcoming presentation of your own, and we've gone through that list and we found the juiciest, the meatiest, and the heftiest questions that uh, we're going to share our opinions and thoughts and expertise on, and hopefully provide some value in today's episode. All right, first question, shall we get started?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so first question, this came through from a couple of different people in a couple of different ways, but basically the question is, are you two married?
1: Um, well, there's two answers to this question.
0: (laughs) I'll go first. So I am married. I have two kids and a husband.
1: Oh, hang on. You're married and have a husband. That's pretty, that's pretty special.
0: That's right. And two boyfriends. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: I'm calling Owen immediately.
0: (laughs) So, So I'm married. I have two kids. Um... My daughter is almost six, and my little boy is nine months old. So if you've been a long-time listener from the beginning, we started this podcast basically the month that he was born, so for the first quite a few episodes, we've Mm. got a few little squeaks and noises that he's made, because he's often in the recording studio with us.
1: Look, I tried to edit most of them out, but... yeah.
0: But now he's just a little bit more mobile and a little bit more annoying, so he doesn't get to come into the recording studio anymore.
1: Yeah, and my answer to, are you married? No. Um, I don't have anything more to say on that. I'm just not.
0: Actively on Tinder.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> no.
0: He's single, so if you like the sound of Thomas. <laughs> ladies, it's thomasatpresentationboss.com.au. Oh, No. <laughs> So if you go to presentationboss.com.au, I'll put a link up to his um, Tinder profile up there and you can swipe right on him. Jeez. Next question.
1: All right, I'm, I'm going to move this right along and get stuck into our first actual presentation question. <laughs> so this person writes, thank you so much for the podcast. I get so much value out of it. I'm a long time listener and this is my first time writing in. I particularly like the raw sexual energy that Thomas brings to the show.
0: Is this the question from your sister? <laughs>
1: Wow. No, it's from your sister. Oh. (laughs) Shall we be serious now? Yep. Okay. (laughs) As serious as we can be anyway. Okay, this first question comes from Annette. Annette writes, I see people lose their place or forget their speech and it completely throws them. If you're giving a presentation and somehow stuff up, how do you pull yourself together and keep going? That's a nice question. Hmm.
0: All right. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. Yep. The first one. Is to recognize that it is completely normal and you're not weird or bad or somehow a worse presenter because you've forgotten your place, gone blank. It's really, really normal. Yeah. And in that, you need to understand that your audience also understands that because most people have actually been in the situation of having a complete mental mind blank.
1: If you think about like times where you've been seeing a presentation, like you've gone to a conference or a meeting or whatever, uh, and you see somebody mess up. Have you ever been sitting there thinking, ooh, I hope they can't recover this and I don't get to hear what they had to say? Mm. Like, like nobody, nobody thinks that. That's That's an awful thing to think. I've been in, in, in conferences myself, and maybe you have, where somebody does stuff up and you kind of feel the energy in the room. Everyone's just like, come on, dude, you, you know what you're up to. What's, just, what's that? just keep going. What's the next thing?
0: People are really barracking for that person.
1: Yeah, people are there to hear your message and see you win.
0: Yeah. So then how do you actually tackle it? A couple of things here. And it's all going to come back to planning. So in order of what you try first and least distracting through to more distracting techniques. The first one is to simply take a few seconds and reset yourself. Think, what am I talking about? Don't try and think about your script. Just think, what am I talking about? What did I just say? Yep. And what then do I want to naturally continue with?
1: Hmm.
0: A lot of the time, that will be enough to recover. And at worst, to the audience, it's going to look like a little bit longer pause, maybe slightly awkward pause. But that's about all. That's as yeah. bad as it's going to look. yeah. You'd be surprised how much thinking you can do in the space of a couple of seconds and how much it really won't be noticed by your audience. I think the important thing to remember here is not to keep talking because you can't talk and think at the same time. Just literally stop and pause. Similarly, if you're talking, saying things like, Oh, I forgot my place. Oh, I'm so sorry. What was I saying?
1: Oh, yeah, you just make it worse. I always think of that as if you accidentally get a drop of bright green paint on your white floor tiles. You have this little drop the size of like a fingernail and you try and wipe it up wrong. And you know how you like just start wiping it, just start spreading it it and just Mm. keeps getting worse and more noticeable. It's like just... Stop and think. Yeah.
0: And address it. So basically you want to not draw attention to it as much as possible Mm -hmm. and not make a scene, not make a drama out of it. The second thing, if you're absolutely stuck, is to make sure that you have your notes somewhere as a bit of a security blankie.
1: You mean like off to the side or something?
0: Yeah. Maybe not in your pocket, because that's almost too easy to access, but maybe just off to the side of the speaking area, so that you can stop for a second and say, I'm sorry, I've just had a mental blank, I've lost my place. Walk confidently over to your notes, have a look, yep, I know where I am, back to the middle of wherever you are speaking, and continue. The key here is to do it with confidence. Again, to not make a scene, to not make it dramatic and silly and lose any sort of credibility because everyone understands a mental blank and picking it back up. Mm. But where you'll lose a little bit of respect is if you're silly about it.
1: Yeah. I think everybody who's ever spoken has yeah, lost their place, had a mental blank. And it can feel like a really long time as the presenter that you're paused, but it'll only be a few seconds. Mm. And it feels like a long time because, you know, you have got feel like you've got the pressure of people's eyes on you and whatnot, but mm. really it's... A moment of calm as best you can.
0: Yeah. And like I said, that all comes back to planning, planning for those scenarios. The more you plan, the less you're freaking out about it because you know what you're going to do, the more prepared you'll be and the more able you'll be able to cope with situations.
1: Thank you for that question, Annette. hope that's provided some direction.
0: Okay. Next question is from Leanne. Where do you get your MC gigs from?
1: Yeah, all right. Interesting question, this because MC work, like we both happily do it and love doing it and have done it, but it's not exactly a core of our business.
0: No. If I think about my favourite gig ever, which was Robo Wars in South Bank here in Brisbane, we have a guy in our network who actually got that gig himself and was asked to find a female co host. And he knew that I did speak in and thought that my energy would have matched nicely for that particular gig. So he actually asked me if I'd like to be his co-host, mm. but it's not something that I actively
1: pursued. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, similarly on this, it was just in the last month, I got two different phone calls from two of our different previous clients who were asked to be a host of two different events. And they just, you know, called me and said, oh, we just kind of said yes and hoping you can help us a little bit. And the reason they were both asked was because they'd been seen speaking somewhere else, uh, you know, like as keynote speakers or what have you. And and somebody had picked them up and thought, oh, we want you to host our event. And I think that's, um, it, it's a little bit inevitable when you are a speaker or speaking that someone's going to ask you maybe to host or to MC an event. It's a little bit that idea that speaking begets speaking, that if mm. if you want to speak, you've Got to speak.
0: Which is a little bit chicken and the egg, so let's have a look at let's have a quick chat about how you might start to get speaking opportunities. If you're really serious about speaking and wanting to do this a little bit more professionally, the biggest thing you've got to do is ask. Ask events, ask people for those
1: opportunities. If you don't ask you won't get
0: Yeah, pretty much. Which seems to be, which we've definitely noticed in our business and that's been quite a business learning for us. But one of the ways you can start to look for these events that perhaps might need a speaker. Let's say, for example, that you speak about customer service and you might want to target dentists. I'm just (laughs) throwing some industries here. You can literally Google dentist conferences, Brisbane, dentist conferences, Australia, dentist conferences,
1: New York. Or healthcare conferences, maybe.
0: Yeah, any of that sort of thing. And that's how you find those events, those industry events. They'll usually have a website and then you've got like the event organizer or there's usually a contact us page and you can start to literally just send your interest.
1: And that is probably the least sexy, the least romantic sort of suggestion ever. But unfortunately, I think that's just the reality of, of marketing and the industry is you've kind of just got to search and ask.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the very unsexy side of business.
1: So really, whatever you do, you're going to get more opportunities in it. The only other alternative I can see is if you happen to be in the space of creating your own events already, and if you're not, like, it's a huge undertaking to create your own events, but if those need an MC, um, look at yourself, you know, if, if you're currently getting someone else to do it, have a look at giving it a bash yourself. So our storytelling events needed an MC, they needed a host, and I happily stuck my hand up for some of those. You've now MC'd some of those that's that's a way of doing it you know if if you're just interested in um if you're just interested in emceeing something for the experience then your own event is an option hmm.
0: thank you for that question leanne i know the answer was unsexy but i hope that it provided just a little bit of direction
1: so this next question strangely enough comes from a family dinner i had where we were sitting out talking about ted talks And this question, this question, Kate, actually does come from my sister. She (laughs) asked (laughs) it, but it's similar to one we get a fair bit and I thought it was worth sharing here. And the question is simply, what's the one thing that separates a good talk from a bad talk? Mm. And I I gave her an answer then and there, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts.
0: Oh, this is hard. Okay. I want to say the speaker knows why they're speaking. They have a purpose and a message. Yeah, right. They're not just speaking to speak.
1: Mm. I think if we we start with why are talks bad, why are talks, you know, not enjoyable and sort of, and don't bring much value to you as an audience member, I think what can happen is if you have a speaker who's given a speaking opportunity and they have the attitude of excellent, I have a speaking opportunity, I get to speak. People will listen to me.
0: It's my time to shine.
1: Yeah, exactly that. And it becomes all about them and they speak and they share whatever's going on in their head, you know, having that mindset as a speaker will result in a bad talk.
0: I think it's like um, our last guest in our podcast, Matthew Dix. Yep. He talked about storytelling. And one of the descriptions he gave about a bad story is someone who comes back from their holiday and they basically just relive their holiday to you at your expense.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. I think what makes a good talk, if you have a speaker come at this from the other direction, from what can I give my audience? You know, you need, to, you need to bring value to the time for your audience. It's about being focused on the people sitting in front of you. What am I going to give to them? What am I going to share with them? What value am I going to add to their time? About being focused on your audience rather than being focused on yourself. So what's the one thing that separates a good talk from a bad talk? A good talk has an audience focus. The speaker knows why they're speaking and brings value to that time.
0: Next question comes from Colin. Colin asks, do you use a thesaurus when you're writing a presentation or speech?
1: Uh, short and easy answer to this one, I think. No. No. So why is that? Uh, Simply because I think there is a difference between writing for the page and writing for the stage. When you're writing for the page, you've got so much freedom to explore interesting word choice. Whereas when you're on the stage, well, on stage, when you're speaking, you're the expert in this topic, in what it is that you're talking about. And so embedded in your brain is the discourse for this topic. Same here on the podcast. You know, we talk about message and purpose and audience focus and all these all these things that just sort of we know the words because that's that's the language we speak. And so I don't think you need a thesaurus for the technical type of words that you already know. And then otherwise, for all the non-technical language that you use look, I don't think you need to get fancy. You can just speak in a way that is authentic and natural, really.
0: Yeah, I agree. I am huge on simplicity. I think that there is a real skill in simplifying something and just speaking in normal language. And I understand the temptation to try and be fancy, to try and maybe look more educated or...
1: Or to try and impress.
0: Yeah, to look more intelligent but I really believe it has the opposite effect. I think there is a real skill and something really impressive about just being able to speak really simply and clearly so that people understand what you're trying to say.
1: I think there's a real risk you can run into if you're like using the word discombobulate as opposed to confuse.
0: I love the word discombobulate. It's (laughs) so onomatopoeic.
1: (laughs) The point being, um, it can be easy to add in words that are sort of too big, too fancy that lose your audience they're they're sort of caught thinking that was an unnecessarily big word or what does that word even mean and you've you've lost them for that moment
0: takes that little bit extra processing power of people's brains and if you can avoid that the more they'll be able to focus on your message and not trying to translate what you're saying so easy answer for colin do you use a thesaurus No.
1: no all right our next message came from sean hello sean so he has two questions greedy So for his first question, he was talking about information-heavy presentations. He wants to know, how do you avoid completely overwhelming your audience in information-heavy presentations? We quite like this question. We deal with sort of technical experts and the like a fair bit. Hmm.
0: So I might take this one to start. I think what you've got to do is really think about the one thing that you want to share with them at that time. Yeah. And you cannot possibly... Share more than one thing at a time. You just can't. That is just beyond the capability of the human brain to process more than a little bit of information at a time.
1: You're not going to be able to communicate days or weeks or months, years of knowledge in a single presentation.
0: Yeah. So think of the brain like a thimble, the size of a thimble, and you can only fit a small amount of water in it.
1: A bit of thimbleful, yeah. A
0: bit of thimbleful. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to remember you cannot fit a bucket full of water into a thimble no matter how fast you pour. So you've got to work out what you want to keep in and what needs to be pulled out just to get to that one little bit of information. Yeah. Imagine you're going to the doctor because you know that something's not quite right. So you get to the doctor and the doctor starts telling you all of your test results. They say your enzyme levels are this, um, your protein levels are this, your cholesterol level is this. And he say, cool, okay, so what does that mean, doc? I said, oh, it means that you've got this disease. Okay, cool, so I can see that that's bad, but how do I fix it? Oh, well, there's these pills that you can take, or you can have surgery, or you can just ignore it. Like, okay, so which one should I do? Like, I think you should take the pills because of this reason. Surgery isn't necessary because of this reason, and you shouldn't ignore it because of this reason. Right, now we've actually been told what we actually needed to be told
1: first. What we came here for.
0: Exactly. What you want is to go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, I've looked at your scans, I've looked at your test results, and in my opinion, you have this disease and need to take these pills because of this reason. That's all you need to know. Tell me what I need to do with a simple reason. But don't try and explain 12 years of medical school (laughs) to me in five minutes.
1: Yeah. You're really going to that person for their expert interpretation and their recommendations.
0: Yeah. And if they want to ask further questions and get into the detail, absolutely answer all of that. But let them lead that detail question. Don't start with the detail and try and work your way through. Mm. Need to start with that one thing that you need them to know first.
1: The one thing I'll add here is you've got a heavy presentation. And it might be separated down into sort of three chunks in the main body of the presentation. I would make an effort to clearly delineate those for your audience. And this is about signposting. So it might be as simple as in your introduction saying, the first thing we will talk about is this, the second thing is this, and the third thing is this. And then as you start those sections, right, we're going to talk about that first thing, which is whatever. And then later on, talk about the second thing, so on and so forth. Or you can do it visually, whiteboard, PowerPoint, flip chart, literally putting up the list. So first thing, second thing, third thing. Obviously, PowerPoint, you can animate each of those to come up exactly when you speak about it. So I would just make it really clear for your audience and signposting those sections so Mm. that you're not losing them uh, in what is probably going to be a heavy presentation. Hmm. All right, the second question from Sean. He talks about giving a keynote presentation and the the introduction or the opening to that. He asks, how do you set the scene to capture the audience's attention from the start? So do we want to start talking about some of the openings that really don't work? That we see all the time? Yeah.
0: Yep. All right, I'll have the first one. One of them that I see is when someone comes out and says, hi, my name's Simon and... I'm a chemical engineer and I've worked for this chemical engineering company and this one and I've got a master's in chemical engineering and today I'm going to be talking to you about this thing.
1: And that doesn't work because...
0: It's so uninspiring.
1: Yeah, you're starting with... just before we talked about starting with audience focus and you're starting with yourself.
0: Yeah, you're starting with a self-focus. That's not about the audience. That is, you're trying to say to your audience and maybe even a bit to yourself, I should be here today talking about this thing. Whereas I think there's a lot of different ways that you can add credibility and maybe drop in your qualifications, your background throughout that's not so obvious and not so... So
1: I'm going to stick with your chemical engineer example. Uh, Another one I see that... oh man, it really makes me cringe. Somebody comes out and they're like, hi, my name's Thomas and who's ready to hear about chemical engineering? And like three people clap because, well, there's no buy-in, there's no interest, there's no trust established there yet.
0: No, you haven't built the rapport with the audience yet. Yeah.
1: And then, and then because they don't get the reaction, like, come on guys, we can do better than that. By which point it's very clear that you're trying to take something from your audience rather than Give something to your audience. So you've got to work, like, even extra hard to, to, to get build that rapport with your audience.
0: Mm. So then the third one, and the one that I potentially hate the most, <laughs> is when I found out I had to give this talk about chemical engineering, I thought, what was I going to talk about? Maybe I could talk about my first thesis project. No. Maybe I'll talk about this project that I did at work a few years ago. No. So instead, I thought that I'd talk about this current project that I'm working on. <laughs>
1: Cool. I don't care what you're not going to talk about.
0: Just tell me what you are going to talk about (laughs) from the beginning. Yes. Because because I think you've got to realize every single person has that same thought process. Every single person starts with, what am I going to talk about? That's how thinking works.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when you write off thousands of talking topics, you pick one. (laughs) We don't need to
0: relive this very standard thinking process. At your audience's expense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> so they're three really bad ones. So then what makes a really good one?
1: It's a really good opening. I, I like you. I mean, you, it was in your words there, Sean, which is how do you capture your audience's attention? So we need to start with an audience focus. What do they need to know or understand? Or what do you need? Is it that you need to say to get them interested and to frame this presentation, to begin to introduce your message and your presentation? So really, there's three pretty easy ways of doing this. The first is to launch immediately into a story, a story that builds the context, introduces the scene uh, and the theme of this presentation.
0: Someone who does this really well, and I'm going to refer you back to episode 34, Speech Breakdown with Simon Sinek, open straight into this beautiful story about Captain Swenson.
1: Yeah, and that really framed his whole talk about emotion in leadership. All right, the second way, which you see a fair bit, because it works, is to ask a very careful question of your audience. And this is something that, you know, they can all answer in their head and start thinking on the theme and the topic that your talk is about to be about. It really puts their mind in that space, uh, ready for your talk.
0: Again, I'll refer back to a speech breakdown. Episode number two with Chris Hadfield. He was the astronaut. He opened with the question, what's the scariest thing you've ever done?
1: Which, if you think about it, really frames his TED talk beautifully. Because his talk is titled, What I Learned from Going Blind in Space. We know that Chris Hadfield is a prominent astronaut. And now he's talking about, what is it that makes us scared? We've now got this nice theme that's leading into him probably talking about dangerous things in space. And how that's going to relate to me, the audience member. So opening with a question can be really powerful. All right. And the third one can be useful for sort of introducing a little bit of surprise, a little bit of um, shock value. And again, certainly setting the tone uh, and introducing a little bit of the information for your presentation. And that is to open with a particularly specific and poignant fact from your topic. Mm.
0: And again, another example from a speech breakdown that we've done, I want to say episode seven with Joe Smith talking about paper towels. He opens with Four billion, three hundred and something thousand. The number yeah. doesn't matter, but it was about four billion pounds of paper towels are used every day.
1: Every year in the US or something, yeah.
0: Yeah. The point is, it was a really big number. It was a really <laughs> significant fact.
1: It was a startling number, yes.
0: Yeah. Which then framed, wow, we've got to do something about this. Like, that was quite clear just from that opening fact.
1: Mm, absolutely. So how about that? We happen to do a speech breakdown that touches on uh, each of those three main easy ways to capture audience's attention. Start with a story. Ask your audience a question or open with a fact. Simple, easy. So I hope, Sean, that gives you some ideas on how to capture your audience's attention from the start and your first question around, avoiding completely overwhelming your audience. Thank you very much, Sean.
0: Next question comes from Susie. Hi, Susie. When organisations use people who have no training or knowledge about preparing ideal PowerPoint presentations and those slides are then expected to be used across the entire organisation within the training stream, How can we break them out of this? For example, when slides are torturous with too many words, tiny font terrible colors, and god-awful distracting transitions or images, what are the steps required to bring them back on track? We have so many excruciating training sessions that involve death by PowerPoint, whereby the instructor reads from poorly designed slides and the learner retains basically nothing. In a nutshell, how can organizations take steps to genuinely get their slides and training more palatable?
1: All right, not going to lie, all I heard here was death by PowerPoint, and I really want to talk about PowerPoint. All right,
0: calm your farm. <laughs> well, okay, this is a huge question, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, exactly what Presentation Boss does. So I definitely suggest that you email hello at presentationboss.com.au <laughs> and have a look at our workshop package options.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, in all seriousness, Well, that's true, in all seriousness-
1: Let's Let's talk let's about this, this for a moment.
0: So I think the question, how do you change the way that an organization presents training is a huge topic in itself. And I think you've got more issue there than just a few people or just some bad PowerPoint slides. Yeah. So what's the first thing that you would do to tackle this?
1: So I think the answer is actually outside the presentations themselves. So in a training area or a training department, I would hope you've got some people there who understand some of those things you talked about, Susie, like redundancy theory, death by PowerPoint, cognitive overload. They should be things that are recognized when you start to have the conversations that I'm going to talk about. So I think this is about having a conversation with whoever's creating these slides or handing you the content to deliver. And I think you want to sort of raise these concerns and try to get, an answer to sort of two main questions. The first sort of question I think you want to answer is, how do you intend for these slides to be used? Because it may, the answer may not be, these need to be displayed in front of all of the learners so that they, you know, read along with, what did you say, the, the tiny font, too many words, terrible colours, that type of thing. If this PowerPoint is sent out basically just as a training package and doesn't have to be displayed, well, then we've kind of just got the wrong document type the wrong software
0: so they need a workbook or something yeah
1: something like that yeah which which basically means then that you could have those slides with the, the copious notes on them just in front of you so that you're tracking uh what's going on and then if there's a couple of really cool slides that you do need to show it's really easy to th- throw them up on the projector and show the information that needs to be shown so that would be one of the questions i would look for an answer for how are these slides intended to be used the other question would be if there is some freedom there for you as the trainer to pull out the essence of the content, the essence of the information that's on those slides and knowing what you know extra about slide design, if you can put that information in a more palatable form for your learners. So again, it may not be that those slides have to be displayed exactly as is, but if you can sort of personalize or remove some of that extra clutter that you don't want there. So, I think that's where I would start is having those conversations sort of external to the training and the presentations that are happening.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think personally, I probably take just a little bit more of a hardline approach, just because that's probably because that's just a little bit more who I am. But <laughs> I think you've got to be conscious about your personal brand and your reputation and i don't believe that you can deliver someone else's content i think you and the reason is because in presentation boss we talk about presentations having three base stages and that is plan design and deliver and if you've got someone else's content you're going straight to that deliver stage and you're actually missing two really crucial elements which is the planning of the content and the structure the design of slides data whatever visuals you need before you get into that delivery stage which means you lose all of that context and I think it is potentially damaging to your personal brand and your reputation if you do try and go down that track. So if you can be involved in all of those stages, the plan design and the delivery, your presentation is going to be better and most importantly, the learnings for your audience is going to be significantly greater. So thanks Susie for your question. Hopefully that maybe at least gives you some place to start having those conversations.
1: Alright, second to last question, and it comes from Matthew Dix, who we've had on the show. Now, what you need to understand here is that Matthew Dix is a novel writer, Kate, and he's written us a novel. Excellent. (laughs) But it's interesting, and there is a juicy question at the end of it. Matt writes, I attempt to be as physically irrelevant as possible on stage so people can become lost on their mind's eye and not focused on something I'm wearing. For this reason, I almost exclusively wear good-looking jeans, a black t-shirt, good-looking shoes, and if I'm performing in a theatre, a hat to cut the glare of the spotlight. If it's a more professional setting, a jacket over the t-shirt. It's a uniform of sorts for me, something people know and expect. It's also very much me, a reflection of who I am, a casual nonconformist, a man who does what he pleases, a person who eschews the importance of physical appearance, a person who has dedicated himself to refraining from commenting on physical appearance, both positive and negative, save my wife and kids. Someone who despises dress codes and sees formal dress as a needless gatekeeper to doing whatever the hell you want. I've been told by some that a more professional appearance would help me in some cases. I was recently speaking to 500 prosecutors in Illinois. I spoke at Grand Rounds at Yale University. I spoke to 2000 at a conference center for Yale New Haven Hospital. In these cases, folks have argued a more professional appearance may help me. I argue that I need to remain true to myself and my brand, and regardless of my appearance, if I nail the talk or presentation, my appearance is meaningless. In all three of these situations, I did well. The organizers and audiences loved me. The question is, would dress pants and a sweater really have made a difference?
0: All right, couple of thoughts here. I believe it is actually unreasonable and not possible for you to be physically irrelevant on stage. A presentation, whether that is a story or a speech or anything on stage, has a visual medium, whether you like it or not. And unfortunately, there are social and cultural norms that are unavoidable and are always in play.
1: Yeah, I think there's always those expectations of what a speaker will be wearing, and so I can understand why why you get this feedback, I, I can understand why somebody would stew on it when, uh, especially they're trying to be a little bit non-conformist, be a little bit different, you know, that's a, it's a, dare I say, like a bold move, that so I'm going to be different to what everybody expects, and so you're going to get that feedback, and then question whether you've made that right decision. Mm. I believe what you're aiming for, and what you need to focus on, is being non-distracting, and... I think the the attitude you have here around um, the good-looking jeans, the black t-shirt, putting a jacket on when you're in a professional audience, I think that makes sense as far as being like whenever you're on stage presenting, you need to be neat and you need to be tidy. You need to be respectful of yourself, but you also need to be mindful of your audience and who it is you're speaking to.
0: I love the aspect here of personal brands. And if we think about two of the most recognized biggest speakers in the world, Steve Jobs and Scott Stretton. Steve Jobs was very much known for his black turtleneck and jeans. Hmm. Scott Stretton also known for black shirt, jeans and a man bun. (laughs) Man bun, yeah. Yeah, it's his thing. The other thing that Scott is known for. So let's start with Steve Jobs. He was known for his black turtleneck. But let's keep in mind, this is not a black turtleneck from the cheapest.
1: Department store.
0: Yeah. This was a tailored black turtleneck. So it was neat, tidy.
1: Professional.
0: Professional. All of that. It wasn't just something that he threw on that morning and then wore forever. Scott Stratton. Now, he, also part of his personal brand, he is known for his tattoos that are all the way up both of his forearms. And they're quite prominent when he's got a t-shirt on. When he is in a more conservative audience, he actually wears a long-sleeved black t-shirt because in that environment, his tattoos are not appropriate. So he makes that decision to very slightly tweak his uniform in line with his audience's expectations and being appropriate and not distracting for them. Mm -hmm. So I think the question that you actually had, would dress pants and a sweater have made a difference? I think the individual items of clothing, no, but if you're in a more professional setting, perhaps you need to wear the dress jacket a little bit more often in line with your audience's expectations. Cause like I said, there's cultural and social norms that are just unavoidable. And like it or not, you are visual. You cannot make
1: yourself... Invisible.
0: Invisible, yeah. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. this is certainly an interesting question. Like I said, I can understand why you would think long and hard about this as an ongoing you know, question in your own mind. Again, I think this comes down to being very mindful of your audience and being respectful of your own personal brand. Yeah. So thank you very much, Matt, for trusting us with that question and asking for our thoughts. All right, Kate, last question.
0: All right. Last question. How many run throughs does it take for you guys to get a clean recording of each podcast
1: episode? Oh, can I answer this? Yeah. So on next week's episode, (laughs) we're going to answer that question as well as a whole bunch of others around what we've learned from making this podcast. So things like, how we go about planning, our recording equipment, our editing, as well as some of the stuff we've picked up from chatting to our expert interviews.
0: So a little bit of a behind the scenes look at what goes into a podcast episode and a podcast in general.
1: Yeah. So we'll absolutely answer that question. We've gotten it a few times, um, but let's do that next week in its own episode. All right. So thank you to everybody who wrote in with a question. Uh, We do hope we've been helpful in answering them. And if uh, your question wasn't on here today or didn't send us one, we hope there's been value in listening to our discussion around those other questions. Otherwise, have a great holiday period and we will chat to you all next week.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. Want to get in touch? Send us an email at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week.
1: So Matthew Dix is from the US. Should I be authentic and read his question in my worst American accent?
0: No, that's really insulting.
1: I attempt to be as physically irrelevant no, as No, po- because
0: the only American accent that you have is like Texas.
1: It is a little bit George Bushy, isn't
0: it? Yeah.